Let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Timothy chapter 2. As we're moving through the book of 1 Timothy, come to the second chapter. Last week we were seeing how Paul was explaining to Timothy the importance of the gospel and the relationship that we as Christians have to the gospel, that we're examples to others of, of God's grace and, and that when they see what God's done in us, it can help them to discover um, a relationship with the Lord themselves. And he encouraged Timothy to fight that, that good battle of, of representing the Lord well and not coming short or giving up. Now we come to chapter 2, and he brings up a, a matter that's of essential importance, according to Paul, for Christians on the basis of the truth of the gospel and on the basis of the fact of, of who we are to be and who we're called to be, the ministries that God has given us. And, and that is the matter of prayer and the importance of prayer. And we often talk about prayer, and we know prayer is something a Christian is supposed to do, but here in this passage, Paul really answers for us why. Because a lot of people would go, when I'm praying, it's just kind of personal between me and God. Maybe it affects me, it helps give me some sort of peace or makes me feel better, or helps me to think along the lines of what God wants. But sometimes we can't fathom that prayer does more than that. It's almost like it's a personal activity. And sometimes people will say, well, God already knows what I want before I pray it. Well, why do I need to pray? In fact, God's in control of everything and he's sovereign, so why do I need to pray? Well, Paul's very adamant as to the importance of prayer. And he lays this out for Timothy, and he gives us several reasons why we should pray. And so this is important to us. Beginning with verse 1, he says, Therefore, on the basis of what I've just been saying, the nature of the gospel, the nature of what you're called to, I exhort, first of all, this is important, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul says, I exhort you. I am strongly commending to you. And he says, first of all. So don't put other things ahead of prayer. This is something that's a huge deal to God, and Paul is saying, hey, put this at the top of your to-do list. Don't even bother going and doing anything else until you have taken care of this matter of prayer and understand how primary it is in your walk with the Lord, in your carrying out of the, of the responsibilities that you have in life. Put prayer first, he says. And in describing prayer, he uses four words that are all referring to prayer, basically. First, 
supplications. And it's kind of interesting that he puts supplication first. Supplication is to really passionately beg for something. And so right off the bat in talking about prayer, he, he says, I want you to supplicate. I want you to be serious about this. Really put your heart in it. It reminds us of who God is and who we are. It reminds us of how desperate we are to be, how, how, how much we need for God to do what we are asking him to do. And prayer is something that you begin to understand its importance when you see that the, the Scripture tells us over in James, it says, you have not because you ask not. Don't always understand completely what that means, but what it definitely says is there are things that God wants to do, and he hasn't been able to do them because we didn't pray. So if prayer is that important, it should cause us to not just go, okay, God, here's the list. Check, 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 check. But it's supplication. It's really, do you really want this? You really want God to do it? For some reason, his heart seems to be touched by people who really want and ask in such a way that they're going, please, God, I desire this. The second word that he uses is the, a, a common word for prayer, but it's a word that refers also to a worship. It's the idea of coming before him and being aware of who he is and bringing our requests to him in a, in a worshipful way, in a sense of who God is and a sense of who we are as well. And then, thirdly, he uses the word intercessions. Generally, we think of intercession as praying for other people, and it is that, that's what it means, but the word literally refers to an interview or a conversation. It's a, a two-way interaction. It's, it's talking and it's listening, and it's with a focus on others. In a way, and this, this may sound irreverent, but the idea biblically of intercessory prayer is really about going to God and gossiping with him about others. It's saying, I I'm thinking about this person, I have an opinion, I have a concern, I see what they're going through, and, and so often we want to talk to each other about people and, and really, I don't think that's completely wrong, and there's a time to certainly discuss other people if you're doing it in the right way. But when you come and fill me in on what's going on with somebody else, all I can do is pray. I can't go fix it. It's not my responsibility. But see, everything that you're concerned about, God can do something about. And so when someone comes into your mind that you're concerned about, he says, go gossip to God about them. Have a conversation with God about them. You know, if you want to talk about me behind my back, I'm totally fine with that. I'm used to it. But I'd really appreciate if you would take that talk to him, to the throne of God. Tell him what a jerk I am. You know, tell him how I hurt you or whatever. But but that's what intercession is. It's coming to God on behalf of someone else and saying, God, we need to have a talk about this other person. I'm concerned about what they're going through. I'm concerned about some of the pain in their life. I'm concerned about events that are happening. I'm concerned about their health or whatever. God, let's talk about this. And so intercession. 
And then the last thing he says is in giving of thanks. And it's kind of appropriate that giving of thanks comes last because thanks is kind of closure after you've prayed about something. Once you've prayed and you're believing that you've given this over to God, it's only appropriate to say, God, I thank you. I came to you worried about this person. I came to you concerned about them, but now I've asked you to work in their life, and God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for them, and I want to thank you for what you're going to do in their life. And so thanksgiving is a part of of prayer. After I've prayed for someone, it's much easier for me to thank God for them. But after I've thanked God for someone, it's also easier to pray for them. It fits in really well to be grateful that God has brought someone into your life and into your awareness and to be thankful for the fact that because you're praying for them, God's actually going to be working in their life. So he says, in all of those facets, I want you to pray for all men, for all people. He goes, I want you praying for everyone. Now, that doesn't mean get a phone book and just start going through the the list necessarily. But the idea is when someone comes to your awareness or when someone is involved with you in a way that you're connected to them and you're concerned about them, you should certainly be praying for them. If you're thinking of someone, that's a good person for you to pray for. Not just the people that you want to pray for, not just the people who ask you to pray for them, you should certainly do that, but are there people who you're aware of that you're not praying for? And God would just say, pray for them. It's, it, I mean, this can be a beautiful thing. If you're just, and this happens to me sometimes, I'll be driving down the road and I'll see somebody on the side of the road just walking along and I'll pray for them. Just, God, you know what they're going through right now and I pray that you would just bless them. What if God answers prayer? You know, what if that really makes a difference in somebody's life and God brought all of the circumstances together so that you were there at the right time to pray for that person? And so he says, in every way that prayer happens, apply it to everyone who comes into your scope of awareness and to your effectiveness. Now again, then that causes us to go, well, why? Why should I do that? And he gives us four great reasons why we ought to be praying for people more. First of all, and he uses the example in verse 2, for kings, rulers, and all who are in positions of authority in order that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Most of us have some problem with authority We don't like the fact that someone else is in a position that affects our well-being. And often it's, well, if you work for someone who you really like, or in the case of marriage, if you're married to someone that you really like, you don't mind them having some sort of authority, as long as it doesn't cross you. See, as soon as an authority does something that I don't agree with, It gives me an opportunity to show whether I'm really under their authority, whether I'm really submissive. Anyone can submit to someone who just does what they want them to do. Really, you're in charge then. But we often have problems with authority. And there's no greater example of this than government. 
as he says, kings. Now remember in the context, Paul was under the governing authority of Nero, one of the most evil leaders ever in history. Over in Romans 13, he said, leaders are put there by God. God is involved in raising up and in taking down. And boy, that's, that's pretty serious. Because that means, and I, and I can understand it, but it means that God has something to do with placing me under someone else's authority or giving someone else a chance to affect my life. But I've found often that even a bad leader can bring out things in us, can teach us things about ourselves that we couldn't learn in any other way. And whether on a large scale or on a small scale. And, you know, one of the most important lessons for us to learn is to appreciate authority. Jesus once had a centurion come to him who desperately desired to have him come and, and heal his child. The centurion said something interesting. He said, Jesus, I am a man under authority, and I am a man of authority. I know what it is to be a leader. And I'm putting myself under your authority, and if you just say the word, I know this healing will take place. And Jesus said, that's what I call faith. In some ways, until you have some responsibility, it's hard to appreciate how difficult responsibility can be. That's why, for the most part, people who are put in positions of authority find that the greatest experts, the ones who think they know everything and are telling them what to do, are people who have never had any kind of responsibility at all. People who've never accomplished anything in life, they're full of advice for you. I'd say 95% of the advice I get about pastoring the church comes from people who do not have a clue about managing anything, much less a church. But they have strong opinions. But when we find ourselves under responsibility, we realize what a great burden responsibility is. We tend to be more understanding of other people. I don't think there's anywhere where this is a greater example than it is in terms of national leadership, for instance. The president. Everyone knows. Oh, the popularity goes up, the popularity goes down, but everyone knows what the president ought to be doing. Now, this is America, and I'm free to express my opinions about what I think of policies and decisions that come from the leaders of our country, the elected leaders of our country. And I'm thankful I'm in America where I can do that freely and not have to worry about too many consequences that come to me as a result. And I may have opinions about what our leaders are doing on every level. Uh, from, from the city in their how long it takes to get building permits to the governor and what he's doing on up to our California senators and congressmen and to the president. But God's perspective is authority is something that demands prayer. That our response, now, yeah, I can look at the president and go, well, he's spending so much time trying to get the Olympics in Chicago, for crying out loud. But do you have any clue the, the level of concern and responsibility that exists in Washington? Now, nowadays, if a president gets elected, he's lucky if he has like 40% of the people, 35% of the people vote for him. Everyone could, but a lot of people don't even go to the polls, and some people vote for someone else. But the way America works, and I had someone 
this week challenged me because I was encouraging people to pray for our president. And someone came to me, and it's a good example of this, and they came and said, you don't really believe that we should pray for our president. Do you understand what he's doing, blah, 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 and went down the list of all the things that they disagreed with the president about. And I said, are you an American? Oh, you better believe I'm a patriotic American. I go, here's how America works. We all have a vote, and then when we elect someone, they are all of our presidents. So whether I voted for him or not, when he's elected, the system worked, and that is my president. And I said, if you don't think that he's worth praying for, for one thing, if you don't think he needs prayer, you're really clueless, but if you don't think that (laughs) he is someone that you are connected with and ought to pray for, you're a traitor. You should leave America. Because the way this country was set up and the way it works is we are together. We decide collectively the government that we're going to get. We get the government we deserve. Now deal with it. And why in the world would I not want to pray? I want people praying for me. Now what Paul says is these people who are in authority, if you pray for them, look what happens. We lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. See, Paul wasn't idealistic, like a lot of people are. Paul was all about the bottom line. What is going to allow me to do what I am called to do? And according to Paul, I'm called to preach the gospel. That's what I care about. I care about people getting saved. Everything else I do has some connection to that. Maybe I'm doing tent making, so that I can support the ministry that I have of sharing the gospel. But whatever it is I'm doing, it's all about Jesus. And he goes, in a way, he's saying, you can't fight City Hall. You can spend all your time getting frustrated and and yakking all you want about what's wrong in the government, but that doesn't fix anything. He said, if you would just get on your knees and pray for your leaders whether your boss, your teacher, your spouse, your, you know, the, your, the bank that you owe money to, or whatever, if you would pray, it would make a difference. So you can either sit there and complain, or you can pray. And believe it or not, he says, when you pray for those who are in authority, your life is going to go better. Your life will change. There's going to be a peacefulness. Now, if, you're, if your main, big cause is you know, uncovering all the corruption in the world or whatever, okay, fine. If God's calling you to do that, that's okay. But I would suggest to you that if you spent that time in prayer, it would make a bigger difference, much bigger difference. And besides that, I mean, I know the most explosive time of church growth in history was under a guy like Nero, I've just recently been in Cuba, China, and Vietnam, all countries that are under the the rulership of people that I would consider evil. I would never vote for any of those guys. But you know what? Those churches are exploding, not only with growth, but with love. The churches in Cuba, different denominations get along with each other. Christ is preached. They're excited about the gospel. They, they, at great danger to themselves, they, they share the Lord with others. It's all that we wish we could see 
in our church, and it's happening there under horrible government. And I would say, you know, do I, did I really enjoy being in Cuba? Not so much. But man, God's word, it's spreading there. And the Christians, it was so cool because you could tell a Christian because the only people I saw in Cuba who were smiling were Christians. You could pick them out just like that. It's so obvious. Something to that. And, and so to me, rather, it's a question of priority. But what happens to those who are in authority affects your peace and my peace, your godliness and my godliness. It really does make a difference. So I'll get off my soapbox. And reason number one why we should pray is that when we pray for those who are in authority, things change, and we're blessed as Christians. The gospel is able to get out. Now he goes on and says in verse 3, if you don't buy that first point and you're already mad at me because I haven't ripped on politicians enough, he says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. If you have a political problem with what I'm saying, deal with verse 3. We pray because God says he's pleased with that. He says this is acceptable. If you want to please God, you will obey him in this. And I want to pray because that's acceptable to God. He sees it as good. When he sees me praying, he's pleased. And so... Definitely, I mean, that's, that means something to me. Do you want to please God? Then pray. Pray for everybody that you know about. Pray for the leaders and authorities, wherever they are, corporate leaders and, and political leaders and people on a local level who are your leaders. Pray for them and for everyone else too. God's pleased. Just a side note, it's interesting. There are people who question and I hope none of you are that way, but there are people who always question Jesus being God. Well, verse 3 says, God our Savior. Who's our Savior? I mean, the Scriptures are very clear. You could find a hundred passages. Jesus Christ is our Savior. And here he says, God our Savior. His name, the name Jesus means Savior, Jehovah's salvation. So that's another one of those verses you can file away and say, who's God our Savior? But um, thirdly, verse 4, he says, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Another reason why he's telling us prayer is so important is because God wants everybody to get saved. Now, there are some people who have debates and arguments over whether you should pray for non-Christians that they would get saved. Believe it or not, there are some people who think, well, that's not a correct prayer. Because, you know, people have a choice, they can get saved if they want, or other people take this position that, you know, God only chooses certain people to get saved, he doesn't want everybody to get saved, so you don't want to pray for somebody to get saved if they happen to be non-elect or something. Well, I'll just take what the Bible says. He desires all people to be saved. And if he says, I mean, put, put this, these verses together, He says, you need to pray for everybody because God wants everybody to get saved. Now, this 
brings up some pretty heavy thoughts, really, when you meditate on this and consider it a while. And I'm not sure I can put it all together and understand it, um, but it seems to me if James says that there are things that we have that we don't get because we don't ask, that if we don't pray, there are negative consequences. And so it leads me to the question, are there people that I should have been praying for that had I prayed for them, they would have got saved? Because I didn't, it had some kind of an effect in that way? I'm not sure. It's a good question. When you read this passage, it sure makes you wonder. And for me, it makes me want to pray for more people because if God wants everybody to get saved, I want everyone to get saved. And by the way, this should solve forever the question of did Jesus Christ die for only some or did Jesus Christ die for everyone? Because if, if he desires, and there are people who will even take where Peter says, God isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And they say, well, all the elect. Well, here it says he desires all men. And earlier he said, pray for all men. And then his first example is a king. Have you ever met a political leader that was already a Christian? <laughs> I haven't. And, and so obviously his concerned, God's heart, is for everybody to get saved. And Jesus Christ was a ransom for everyone's sin. He died for all. I think it's very clear in this passage. If, you're, if you have a different opinion on it, don't argue with me. Um, it's okay. You can go ahead and believe what you want to believe, but you're going to have to make it justify it with the Scripture. My point is, you need to pray because God wants people to get saved. We need to pray for everyone that we are aware of, everyone that we know. We need to pray more because God wants to do a work. He wants to save people, and he wants our prayer to have something to do with that. That's very clear. That's very simple, and I think it's very profound. He wants everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth, so therefore, pray. So pray because when you pray for authority, it's going to make your life better. Pray for others because God's pleased when you pray. Pray for people because God wants to save people. Now, he goes on in verse 5 and says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom. He paid for all to be testified in due time. And he said, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So Paul says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, and that's another reason why we ought to pray. Now, how does that tie in? It almost seems like a, a separate thought. But here, here's what I think he was pointing out. Um, there's only one God and you're not it. <laughs> you're not him. There's only one who is able to take people from a lost condition to then connect them to God. And you're not that one. It's Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul would always say things like, I preach Christ. He is my message. Because what he's trying to let us know here is the key is that people meet Jesus that they come in contact with him. And we need to pray that that happens. 
So often, instead of that, we try to figure things out. We try to fix things. We go on a crusade. We go on a rampage. We keep forwarding emails because somehow we think that something we do is going to fix what's wrong with this world, and you will have nothing but frustration when you do that. But we have to realize there's just one thing wrong with this world. It started back in, well, it started even before, you know, and this kind of brings this whole passage together. It started when the devil, as an angel, decided to rebel against the authority that existed, God. And he rebelled and he fell. Then he came to the Garden of Eden and he lied to Eve and got her to rebel against the authority of what God had said. Then she got Adam to do the same. First murder happened a while after that. And you know the rest. The world is just messed up because we all have an issue with authority. And that's why he says, you need to pray for those who are in authority because the definition of sin is to rebel against established authority. And so now he is saying, you see the mess that's here, and what's ultimately going to fix it is none other than Jesus Christ. That's what's needed. There isn't going to be any leader that's going to fix this. There isn't going to be any great solution. There isn't going to be any wonderful concept that you come up with. No, that's not going to work. You can sit there and try to solve those problems. You can make yourself sick trying to think of what can we do, what can we do, or you can take them to the Lord in prayer and turn it over to the one, our Savior, who is the one who is able to connect people to God. Everything that's wrong in this world has to do with the fact that people aren't connected to God. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can make that happen, And therefore, our prayers allow that to take place. Our prayers are used by God, and as he answers our prayers, people are connected to Jesus. And so he says, that's what my ministry is all about. He goes, I don't see it as me going out there and changing things. All I am is a guy who's called to be a messenger, specifically to Gentiles, to let them see Jesus to let them see that there is a solution to the mess and the problems that we're involved in. And he said, that's why I ask people to pray for me. That's why I'm telling you, Timothy, I want people praying. I want people to be involved in prayer because prayer makes a difference in that which matters most. Prayer will allow people to find a connection with the one who can lead them to a relationship with the living God. And that's what matters ultimately. If you're a Christian, there isn't anything more important in your life than to be used by God to see other people come to Jesus Christ. And prayer is where that starts. Prayer is how that happens. I'm ashamed when I think of all the time in my life I've wasted getting up to snuff on what's going on in the world, trying to figure it out and trying to make a call and trying to find the answers to things and and then having conversations with people talking about, well, if they would only do this and if the government would do that and here's the problem and this is what I predict and this is what's going to happen and you know what? I'm not God 
And none of that has led to much of anything. Oh, yes, I can say, when I go to the polls, I'm a very informed voter. Okay, what's that got us? Nobody I ever vote for ever wins, you know? So it's like, I wasted that time. Now, here's something I would challenge you to this week. At least pray about this and think about it. If you're a news junkie, take one day, and the time that you were going to spend on Drudge Report, reading a newspaper, you know, scrolling through your favorite news website or whatever, listening to news radio, take one day, and that time that you would have spent, just spend that time in prayer. Just spend that time asking God to work in the lives of the people that you're concerned about. See, we've got to understand the difference between, as somebody has said, the difference, you know, just because you're concerned about something, it doesn't make it your responsibility. We wear ourselves out taking responsibility for things that aren't our responsibility. So, Yes, there are certain responsibilities that you have. And whatever your responsibilities are before God, fulfill them. Do what God has called you to do. But just because you care about something doesn't make it your problem. All of those things that you care about, take them to the Lord, casting your cares on Him because He cares for you. And if you would just take... If Hey, if you're one of those ones that goes, you know what, I spend, usually spend about 10 minutes going down the headlines. Okay, take 10 minutes praying that you wouldn't have taken ordinarily. But if you're somebody who, who wears yourself out because you've got to watch that news going by, man, that would be pretty much a day of prayer. Now you go, well, you know, I'd love to do that, but i got to work. And while I'm at work, I'm always kind of checking the internet and looking at the news. Okay, you've been robbing your boss. Go ahead and rob him again, and this time pray during the day while you're working. But, but do something that matters. Don't spend your time doing things that don't. And I think if you do that for one day, if you don't notice the difference, I know there is a difference. Because I know God answers prayer. And things will happen, and lives will change, and people will get saved if we're obedient to what he has told us to do. Now, after you try that for a day, I'll give you one better. The next day, go ahead and read all the news you want. But everything you read about, pray for them. Every little note on Drudge Report, every newspaper headline, every little political development, Every athletic team, Dodgers finally won. <laughs> what would happen if you just, if you use the news as your prayer request list? And you go, I mean, I do this with our church prayer requests, and several people email me with prayer requests, and I get the missionary prayer requests from Costa Mesa, and I, and I go down them and I, and I pray for those things. What if your newspaper was that? What if like, okay, the next story that's coming up on the news, I'm going to pray for that person. And I guarantee you, every situation that comes up, it's never going to be good news. It's always going to be a challenge. It's always going to be a a typhoon wiping out lots of people, or it's going to be a murder, or it's going to be an embezzlement or whatever. Okay, go ahead and listen to that stuff if you really are addicted to it. How about then praying for each of those things? Can you imagine the difference that would be made. If just all of us in this room would do that this week, one day, 
I think people would get saved. I think differences would be made if Paul is telling the truth and this really is of God and the Bible really is God's word. I think it's something we ought to take seriously and take the challenge to make a difference. And the only way that we really will make a difference and that is as we turn our eyes to the Lord, as we get on our knees, if your knees can still handle that, and we ask God and we supplicate him and we thank him, we worship him, and we talk with him and converse with him about these situations. Oh God, I just read about that those people who died in that tragedy. Lord, please open doors to your gospel because of this and cause these people to turn to you and for salvation. And, you know, how come we can't do that more? Frankly, the reason is because we don't really believe it'll happen. We don't really believe it'll make a difference. It's easier for us to give money for a cause than it is for us to pray about a cause sometimes. But I, I would challenge you, as, as Paul was challenging Timothy, realize what a difference your prayers can make. There are several reasons here. I could give you a lot more from other scriptures. But let's be people of prayer, and let's put prayer first. That's where it belongs. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this exhortation from your word. It's embarrassing when we think about how little we pray compared to the, the importance that you put on it. Compared to the, all the, how much we believe in our head that prayer works and yet we don't take you at your word and really do it. But Lord, change us a little at a time. Help us to just begin to spend a little bit more time praying and seeing your power unleashed as we obey you in this way. God, give us your heart that when you look at the lost and you want them saved, and you tell us to pray, help us to want them to be saved. All the leaders in our nation, our local government, God, the the presidents and vice presidents of every business and every high-rise as we drive down the freeway and see those buildings. All the people that we read about in the paper who are failing and being disgraced and those who are victims of tragedy all the way down. God, help us to lift them up to you when we think about them. Help us to learn to pray and to make a difference eternally in that way. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.